what Garrett just read to us sounds more like a a single piece of a puzzle, and that's exactly what it is. And so I hope you'll keep your Bible open to 2 Kings 5 for the second Sunday in a row as we study together this morning. In the meantime, I express my deep appreciation for your presence. Uh, For those of you who are physically here in the auditorium, as well as those who, the hundreds who are joining us online uh, from literally all over the United States, we're we're grateful for your spiritual interest. Last Sunday, we spent some time looking at the amazing and incredible story of Naaman, the leper who was healed uh, at the, well, I guess in an indirect sort of way at the hands of Elisha, the prophet of God. And this is a fantastic story. If you haven't, uh, if you were not here for our study last Sunday morning, Don't worry, this is kind of a standalone lesson, but I'm going to review very briefly that will bring you up to speed. We talked about how Naaman had some problems with with the recommended cure for his leprosy, and that's a vast understatement. The Bible says he was enraged at what the, uh, the messenger told him to do in order to be cured of his leprosy. But eventually he came around and he took the advice of one of his servants. And, and that advice can be expressed in one simple question. The servant asked him this, Master, if he had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? And, and credit Naaman with having enough humility and enough wisdom to see that and to take his servant's advice. Now we tried to emphasize at the very end of the study that there's really one more, more than one miracle that occurred in that Old Testament text. If not miracle, at least operation of God. You remember that Naaman in the outset was a man whose heart was hard, whose will was stubborn, whose life was a mess. But by God's grace, the Bible tells us he became a, he became a new man. And he was able to, to leave Elisha's presence with, with peace in his heart. Probably the first time that he had had that experience in a very long time. And he was able to, to do that. He was happy and he was clean and he was overflowing with joy. His life had taken on new meaning. Now, I would love to be able to stop right there in the story and say that ends the fifth chapter of Second Kings, but you know better than that, especially if you have your Bible open in front of you right now. There's another fellow that I want us to give some attention to this morning for the next few minutes, and, and, and we don't hear his name very often. And if we can think of Naaman as the loving leper, we can think of this guy as the lying loser. I know that's not very politically correct. But that's the best description that I know of of Gehazi. So take a look with me for a moment, and we'll talk about some of the takeaways that we can get from this powerful passage. First, I want us to talk about the nature of the man that we're going to focus on for the next few minutes. The Bible says that Gehazi was a servant of Elisha, and not just any old servant, but that he was, in fact, his right-hand man. So that indicates that he had a a position of trust, a position of responsibility uh, for Elisha. And that means also that wherever Elisha went, Gehazi also went. Gehazi has all the appearances of being a good guy. You know, he's kind of a, when we first get the impressions of him as they're beginning to form from what scripture says, he's kind of the church going type. That's, That's the initial impression that we get of this man. But if you will, look in verse 20. Well, the Bible says to Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, who's, of course, Elisha being a prophet of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman. That's the essence of it. He was too easy on Naaman by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Now, remember in our last lesson last Sunday morning, we talked about all the wealth that Naaman Naaman brought. Most Bible scholars say that he had in mind the idea of buying a cure. 
And we talked about the bountiful wealth that he brought, and including a special letter of introduction from the king, hoping to buy that cure for, for his leprosy. And to just get you get some idea in our minds of how much wealth he took with him, just the gold alone would be in, worth in excess in our market of $4.5 million. But Elisha does not want Naaman's money, does not want any of his gifts. In fact, he doesn't even come out to the front door to greet uh, Naaman. He, he just sends a messenger out and tells him that, hey, you need to dip seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be cured of your leprosy. But, uh, but now Gehazi is there. He sees all of this happening, and, and all of a sudden there's dollar marks that began to appear, you know, in his eyes. And he's thinking of all the money that just got away. Because Naaman had offered, after he had been cured, to give Elisha all of these things. And, and we noted last week that that was apparently a demonstration of his appreciation. And we indicated that that can be a line of demarcation in our spiritual lives as well. When we can say, I want to do this, I don't have to do this. So, so I hope that's fixed in our minds. First, he was going to buy the, the cure for his leprosy. Once he had been cured without any money changing hands, he says, I, I would really like to give you all of this in my sincere appreciation for what you've just done for me. And so if you'll pause for just a moment and notice that the, first, the very first character flaw that it becomes obvious that Gehazi has. It's the ability to rationalize something that's very wrong. He watches Elisha refuse all of that money from Naaman, and, and he thinks, in essence, I, I can't let this guy walk out of here without taking him for all that he's worth. Uh, I mean, what, what was it that Elisha was thinking by, not, by refusing all of this, this wonderful bounty? And so Gehazi rationalizes in his own head something that he knows is wrong, and then he makes up an excuse in his mind to do something that is, that is shady and dishonest. And that's why we need, to, we need to guard our hearts, don't we? Solomon said in the Proverbs, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. We don't ever do anything wrong before first having contemplated it. Now, we may legitimately say, I didn't think that through long enough, but we never do something wrong or right without first having contemplated. So we need to, we need to I think first lesson here is to, to guard our hearts. And, and that was Gehazi's problem. He wasn't, he wasn't guarding his heart. Anyway, we see that and we think, well, well none of us would ever do that. What Gehazi has, has just done, we would never look at something that is, that is clearly wrong and then make up an excuse and rationalize that in our minds and do it anyway. And, and so nobody in this audience that would ever do that. But we might have friends that would, so I'm going to keep on preaching. Gehazi thinks, Gehazi is thinking, now, now what is this going to hurt? I mean, after all, he, he was going to give this to Elisha anyway. So in, in, in his mind, that money had already, at least it should have, already exchanged hands. But it, but it hasn't. So Gehazi is beginning to, all these dollar signs are appearing, and, and his mind is beginning to spin, and his rationalization has led to his ability to lie. And as we're going to see in the following verses, Gehazi does that really, really well. I mean, he is, he is accomplished as a liar, and, and he would have been a con artist, I think, if he had lived in our day and time. And that brings us to 2 Kings 5. Look at verses 21 and 22, if you will, and, and we find Gehazi hurrying after Naaman. 
There, all that money is disappearing across the horizon. And so Gehazi thinks, uh, I haven't lost my opportunity. I just need to go catch up with him. And when Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from his chariot to meet him. And, and, and Naaman says, is everything okay? You know, he's kind of surprised to see the servant running in his direction. Is everything okay? And Gehazi responds, my master, here's where the lies began. My master sent me to say, Two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. Now, in his nefarious mind, I'm sure that Gehazi was thinking, if I ask for everything that he offered to give to Elisha in the first place, that's going to be highly suspicious. And so I'm not going to ask for everything. I'm just going to ask for a goodly portion of that. He, he knows not to ask for all of it. And I hope we saw that. Not only does Gehazi lie, but you notice that he actually incorporates God in his lie. My master, the prophet, might as well say the prophet of God because that's what he was. My master, the prophet of God says, and so, so he's playing the prophet card here thinking that will give him some credibility. And, and, and Naaman is so good-hearted at this point. His heart, remember, has been melted by this experience. And he's a different man than he was back when he wanted to argue about the cure and when he got so enraged when he heard about the dipping seven times of the Jordan River. So now he's got a good heart. I mean, he wants to do the right thing. And he says, here, take two talents. He only asks for one. Take two talents. And he, and he even urges Gehazi to accept them. And, and I hope that we're seeing the complete picture as we walk through this text. Naaman is saying, here, take two talents of silver. N- no, really, you can have them. If you'll notice, verse 23 says, he urged him. And so it took some urging. And you may thinking, be thinking, well, that's what Gehazi was there for. Why would he have to urge him? I think Gehazi is playing a part. You know, he, he's, he's acting like he's reluctant. To take all of this, this money. And, and so, so Gehazi is saying, no, 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 really, no, I don't think so. And, and our first reaction when we see Gehazi putting up uh, such a front as that is, is to say, this isn't in the King James, by the way, but our first reaction is to say, what a creep. Because, I mean, that's what he is. Here's a guy who is just deceitful. He, he's lying. Uh, he, he's he's uh, apparently quite materialistic. He's just thinking, if I could get my hands on, on that much money, how easy my life would be. But, but let, me tell you why, let me tell you why this passage is in the Bible, folks. And I hate to say this, but, but we need to talk about it. We need to broach this subject. We're, this passage is in the Bible because Gehazi is us. At least at times in our lives. At times when we are so self-centered that we're the only ones that we're thinking about. And when all of a sudden our priorities and our values have gotten askew and we began to think, if I just had more money, I mean, that would answer so many problems in my life and it would smooth out so many of the wrinkles. And and we began to think exactly the way Gehazi. And and we may even be willing to lie in order to be able to accomplish those kinds of goals. Have you ever heard or said any of the following? Mom, I, I can't believe that you would accuse me of something like that. That's the Gehazi syndrome. Sweetheart, I haven't been doing anything wrong. Listen, boss, I'm not the one you're looking for. See, the point is something is wrong in our hearts and in our lives. When we can lie really well, I mean, when it just kind of slips easily and smoothly off of our lips and the lying, and the lying doesn't even bother us anymore. 
And I really believe that's the spiritual condition that Gehazi was in at this point. And that brings us to verse 23. Take a look at verse 23. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. Well, that had to have been music to Gehazi's ears. And, and he urged Gehazi to accept that. He tied up the two talents of silver in two bags along with two sets of clothing. And, and the clothing itself, the ten sets of clothing that he brought would have been worth a lot of, a lot of money. But, but now there's two that's going to go with, with Gehazi. He gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. Wait a minute. All of a sudden, there is a problem in Gehazi's plan. Now, let me also say this. At this point, Naaman's heart is so good, and, and the change in his life is so genuine, that he sends two of his servants with Gehazi to help carry the money and the clothes. And, and Gehazi immediately sees that there's a problem. What he had envisioned was just going after Naaman, getting the money, and then coming back by himself so that nobody knows where that money came from. But Gehazi is fast on his feet. And he's thinking, oh, great, facetiously, of course, these two guys are going to walk with me. And the first thing they do is they're going to go right before Elisha and say, here's the money and the clothing that you ask for. For these two prophets, when Gehazi knew full well that Elisha had done no such thing, he's going to be found out as soon as they get back to where Elisha is. And he's thinking, if that happens, I'm sunk, and Elisha is going to be tremendously upset with me, and that is a vast understatement. Now, verse 24. When Gehazi came to the hill, that seems to be kind of a topographical parting of the ways sort of, of juncture, he, he took the things from the servants Still thinking, that mind is still spinning, and, and, he, and he put them away in his house. So the servants have gone their way. They've gone back to, to, to Naaman, and now he's got the money and all of those things that he went for in his own possession, and they're gone. So ah, he's probably wiping his brow saying, okay, they didn't go behind before Elisha and spoil my plan. And then he sent the men away. And they left much to his great relief. Now, Gehazi's probably said something like, fellas, I, I've got it from here. And I'll take the money and I'll, I, I'll, I'll take the clothes and I'll see that they get into the right hands. And, and y'all go on your way and tell your wives and kids that we said hello. And by the way, thanks. So he sends the two guys away and he takes the clothes and the money and he puts them somewhere in his house. Now, here's a really big point that I don't want us to miss. Right after all of this lying and duplicity and outright stealing, because that's what it was, have you noticed that Gehazi goes right back into the presence of Elisha, the prophet of God? There's no guilt. There's no, hey, I've done the wrong thing. I don't, I don't think I can look Elisha in the eye right now. Bible says brazenly, boldly, he just goes right back in before Elisha. I hope that we got that. He doesn't even have the decency to go and run and hide somewhere until the heat is off. It's one thing to go out and to be a thief and a liar and then to run off and hide somewhere because you're ashamed and you feel guilty. But Gehazi boldly goes right back in, buttons up his tunic, and has the outright audacity to stand before the prophet of God and to act like nothing has happened. Now, 
Before we quit, we need to take a quick look at the Gehazi before Elisha scene. What happens when Gehazi actually goes in to the presence of Elisha, the prophet of God, and they talk about the circumstances. Look at verse 25. Then he went in, that's Gehazi, he went in and stood before his master Elisha. First question out of Elisha's mouth, where have you been, Gehazi? Gehazi's mind is still spinning, trying to form the right answer. And his his response was, your servant did not go anywhere. That was his answer. And you may be thinking he should have thought more and longer and harder about that. I, I didn't go anywhere. Now, those of you who are parents, you're probably ahead of me, aren't you? Have you ever had your kids respond to you in a similar way? Had that same experience of speaking loudly That's translated yelling at your kids. What are you doing? Only to have them answer nothing. Well, where where were you when I was looking for you? Nowhere. Your next question is, how can you be, how is it physically possible for you to be nowhere doing nothing? Now, if you had asked your child, what were you thinking? And they said nothing, that would have been completely understandable. But, but to ask, where were you and what were you doing when you were there? Nothing, I was nowhere. And you just have to wonder, folks, how God feels when we act in that same childish way toward him. Can I just cut to the chase here? Because if we're reading this story simply from an historical perspective, and we're, we're not trying to find ourselves anywhere in here, then we might as well be talking about something else. So here's, here's the cutting to the chase part. It would be one thing if we were not Christians at all. If we did not wear the name of Christian or the mantle of Christianity and we lived a life full of sin and deceit and indecent worldly behavior. I mean, if we just went out there and got with it in the world. But it is quite another thing to entirely live like the world throughout the week. And then to have the temerity to come in here and take the Lord's Supper. Which is a holy thing, I remind you. And to tell the Lord, I haven't been anywhere. And I haven't been doing anything this week. Nothing that you would be disappointed about. But notice the question of the text again. Where have you been, Gehazi? See this moment of opportunity for what it is. Here is a golden opportunity for Gehazi to come clean. And to say, listen, Elisha, I I just got to tell you that I've done wrong. I have been wrong. And I've been lying to you. I've been lying to others. I've been stealing what did not belong to me. I've been a hypocrite, really. And I I am so very sorry. And I am ready to repent and do the very best that I can to make things right. But sadly, he did not do or say any of those things. Because we know that from the Bible text. Now, look at verse 26. We're about through. Verse 26, but Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you? That was not something that Gehazi was planning on. For Elisha, apparently as a prophet of God, has some kind of divine insight. He knows because of divine information what Gehazi has been doing and saying. And so he asked him this question, was not my spirit with you when the, when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? And Gehazi scratching his head going, how did he know that? 
Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olives groves or vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female? Is this the time to, to be accepting that kind of, of, of loot from anybody? I mean, this is, this is the wrong time. This is the time for us to be celebrating the fact that, that Naaman had incurable leprosy, but he was healed by the grace and the power of God. This is not the time to be bilking someone out of, of wealth. And when we have to think about this when it comes to our own lives. In our own personal choices that we make every day. I mean, how, how plain does God need to make it? L- let me summarize our decisions into two simple words. And I hope you'll take this home with you. And here are the two words. He knows. Doesn't he? He is an all-knowing God. He knows. And when you and I think that he doesn't know what we've done or, or what we've just said... I assure you, he knows. And, and what you, you think he doesn't know, he knows. I, I wonder if any of us have ever been tricked in, in, into believing that if we come here to this building and, and if we sing real loud and we pray real hard, that we can do on Sunday what we haven't done all week long. And that's to honor God with our lives every day of the week. You know, that won't fly because of those two simple words. He knows. He knows exactly what our spiritual condition and what our hearts are all about and what our motivations are. And since he knows, why won't we just go ahead and tell him and confess to him what he already knows? Why won't we just come clean and be honest before God? I I think that many of us, and, and I don't mean just you, I mean all of us, would grow spiritually by leaps and bounds if we would just do that one thing. Whenever we mess up, we fess up. First thing we do in response to a mistake, a sin in our lives, is not to try to rationalize it and not to try to hide it from God or from anyone else. It's to come before God and to penitently confess that before God, knowing that if we do that, he is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1 John 1.9 says so very clearly we can't miss it. What Gehazi should have done is what we need to be doing as God's people every day of our lives. I find it amazing that that some of us are more worried about offending people than we are about offending God. For example, if I compromise any one of my moral convictions in order to get along with people, I have to wonder, how does God feel about that? If I go along to get along and to make life easier because I've been politically correct... And nobody has been offended by anything that I say or anything that I believe. Doesn't that offend a holy God? And I think you know the answer to that. I mean, Gehazi had a chance to do the right thing, but he lied instead. Only this time, it was going to be his very last lie. That brings us to the end of the story. Look at verse 27. This is Elisha talking to Gehazi. Naaman's leprosy. You were just here. You saw Naaman healed of his leprosy. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. I hope we get the full physical and emotional impact of what just happened. The Bible says that Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and that his skin was leprous, that it had become as white as snow. And, And don't miss that. Elisha just handed Gehazi a living death sentence along with his kids and his grandkids. And here's the, the overview. This chapter began with Naaman being cured of leprosy. And this chapter ends with Gehazi being cursed 
by leprosy. Now, two quick lessons, and then we're going to sing the song of invitation. Lesson number one, and, and, and again, just because of the hour, please don't miss these two lessons because this is the heart of what I wanted to talk about this morning. Lesson number one, no one is beyond the reach of God's amazing grace. Isn't that true? And isn't that wonderful? To know that no one is beyond the grace of God's, or beyond the reach of God's amazing grace like leprosy, sin may, may well have ravaged your life. It may have cut you off from others. It may have caused tremendous pain and suffering in your life and indirectly in the lives of those that mean the most to you. But there's a way for you to be cleansed and to be saved, just like Naaman was. You know, the gospel message says that all people are included in the call to be God's children. And that means that nobody gets overlooked. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So simple faith and trusting obedience to his will is all that's needed. Lesson number two, anyone who has turned away from God can turn back to him any time they choose to do so. Now, maybe some of us feel a lot like Gehazi at times in our lives. And even though we recognize, we are very much aware of the fact that God has been just so good to us, but we've turned away from him. And in the process, we've, we maybe have done something real foolish. We may have made some horrible decisions while, while our backs were turned on God. And some of us have allowed self and, and selfishness to take over our lives. And that, that we're the only ones that we think about when crunch time comes. And we find ourselves saying and thinking and doing things that, as God's people, we never thought that we would do. God is calling us to repentance. And he is calling us back into his presence. I hope we know that. I hope we understand that. I hope we're willing to acknowledge that. Re- you know, repentance in some ways is like, is like traveling on a highway. When you're going south on a highway and all of a sudden you realize I'm going in the exact wrong direction. I ought to be going north. Repentance isn't just thinking about changing directions. And it isn't just looking around and wondering of all the other people that are going the same direction that you're going. I wonder if they're going the wrong way too. Repentance... You may want to take notes on this. Repentance is looking for the very next exit, not two or three or ten miles down the road. It's looking for the very next exit, getting off, crossing over, and then getting back on the road that will lead you home. And that's essentially what repentance is. It's turning around and going the other way, motivated by our sincere desire to please God and our sorrow for the way that we have sinned. Now, let me add this little bit of good news to this simple illustration. What you and I need to remember is that when we're taking a trip, the ride coming home always seems shorter than the ride to where we were going in our original destination. And, and, and there's just something about coming home that shortens the feeling of distance, even though the ex, actual distance is the exact same going in either direction, of course. Spiritually speaking, some of that can be explained by the fact that a merciful and a powerful God is doing Everything that he can to get us to repent and to come home. We've already sung the song. It was the first one we sang this morning. I wandered far away from God. Now I'm, now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. Let me again put the status of two men before you. On Naaman's behalf, I ask, why won't we just trust God? 
Naaman trusted God and he was cleansed and he was healed and he was made new. And on Gehazi's behalf, I have to ask the same question. Why, why don't we trust God? Gehazi lied, he deceived others, and he was cursed with the awful disease of leprosy. And so when God asks us today, where have you been? What have you been doing this week? Have you been a good ambassador for Christ in all of your contacts and all of your dealings this week? Remember, he knows, he knows where we've been. And let me also assure you this, good church. He knows exactly where you are right now. And I don't mean just whether you're physically sitting in the church building or not. He knows where you are spiritually. He knows what your motivations and what your heart is all about. So my message to you today is someone is ready to forgive you. And someone is more than ready to save you and to get you headed in the right direction. While we stand and while we sing. When we walk with the Lord in the light of